Thanks for tuning in. This is episode number 69. It is a continuation from the previous episode, Adam's Sin, and really kind of a part two of that. So I want to thank you for taking the time to join me on this one. I pray that it blesses your heart, that that the Lord opens up to you the mysteries of his word and the richness that is inside of them. So, again, previous episode introducing this thought of Adam's sin and how we are needing rescuing, not from his sin, but from ours. Our guilt is because of our sin. Our guilt, I propose, is not from Adam's sin. And we see That played out in some of the previous scriptures I listed in the previous episode, Ezekiel 18.20, Deuteronomy 24.16, Jeremiah 31.29, and the following. Today, uh, I want to dive into a New Testament passage that we are all very familiar with, but I believe that there is some quite profound things that we can unpack in that and then discover as it relates to perhaps misperceptions, I know I have seen. I'm, I'm hoping that this sheds some light for you as well. And again, I preface this as I did on the previous one with, uh, I don't presume to have all the answers, but I do want to be faithful to what I believe that God is taking me down, what path he is leading me here in revealing I think his heart on the matter and what the what the Bible actually shows us and some of the consistencies of that. And as I began to really digest some of this, you know, Adam's sin, his guilt, is it our guilt? Um, as I began to think about that, Romans really started you know, kind of coming into my mind, you know, what about Romans? What about some of this explicit language in Romans about, um, you know, this, uh, the original sin, the, the, the failure of Adam and, and, and how death entered in sin. And, and so I, I spent some time thinking in that and reading some of Romans chapter five, six, seven, going through some of that and, and trying to understand what does the text say and are there aspects that I'm not seeing or am I, am I presupposing some things that I believe might have been true? But in reality, as I, as I kind of meditate and chew on them, maybe there's something more there that I've just not seen. So I guess in this episode, it's, it's more of a, a, perspective, a continuing perspective, but from the lens or from the views vantage point of Romans 5, I think we'll go into Romans 7 as well. And so um, we'll just jump right into it. Um, the first verse that I really want to read through, maybe one or two verses, is where I think I would say this 
kind of the, some of the strongest language or some of the more explicit language is where we traditionally get some of our viewpoints on, you know, Adam's sin being our sin and, you know, his guilt introduced guilt to the world and et cetera. So let's go right into it. It's Romans chapter 5, uh, we'll start in verse 12. And it says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. So we'll stop right there. And it says, therefore, just as sin entered the world, the NIV uses that language, entered the world. I was originally reading out of the ESV, where, and it says, came into the world. I began to think about that phrase, entered in, or came into. It's, again, speaking for me, I have always perceived that to suggest it was like the place in which sin came to be or came into existence. Maybe that's not a fantastic word because if we just keep reading on down, we would see that sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. Now, we have a real tendency to, when we see that, to think of Moses and the law. Um, However, I'll just go ahead and suggest here that I do not believe that when it says before the law was given, I don't think Paul was just talking about the laws as we understand or know it, as in the Ten Commandments, as in the Mosaic law given. Because if, again, if you read closely, it says sin backing up, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. So death is entering in through sin. Paul says that sin was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Now notice, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses. Now we know the law was given in the sense of the commandment, Ten Commandments, was given through Moses. But it says death reigned from Adam to Moses. So Paul's not just talking about the law as it relates to the Mosaic law, the covenant. I would suggest and propose to you that the bigger view of what he's saying before the law was given, the law is any spoken commandment, any decree released by God. What is the first law that we see released? 
That is, do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That was a law, a regulation. A, uh, a, you are not allowed to do this thing. So I suggest that it says sin was in the world before the law, before the declaration was given. We know that to be true because we find in the temptation of Adam, we find that Satan was present in this garden as a serpent interacting with Adam, tempting Adam and Eve. We find him present. So, in fact, that statement, I believe that what I suggest to you is accurate, is sin was present before the declaration was given. But notice, is a, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Okay. So, as I thought on sin entering the world, what if this didn't mean that sin was born... But rather, it meant sin seized its opportunity. You see, I think that is actually a better way to think about what is happening in this text. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man. Just as sin seized its opportunity, it entered or it came into... This is so this word here entered or the word or the phrase came into depending on the translation is the Greek word isercomai and scholars call this metaphorical language it's meaning or it's equivalent to the phrase to arise come into existence, begin to be. These are all things that that word can represent. Now, I believe it's not accurate to think sin went from not existing to existing. So let me say that again. I believe it's not accurate to think that sin went from not existing to existing here. And I said it before, why? Because Satan was already present, tempting Adam and Eve. Rather, I think the language used of entering the world or came into is, here's an example. If you enter into your bathroom from your bedroom, that doesn't mean that you didn't exist before entering the bathroom. It means that you moved, you entered, you transitioned into the other area. It's like the sun arising. It was there, but it changed positions and it was able to impact you. So rather, I would, I would say it this way. This is a way that helps me to comprehend it, although it is actually a different Greek word. Um, I don't have that with me. However, I would say it this way, just as sin seized its opportunity through one man and death through sin. We see actually this 
phrasing seized its opportunity. We see that in Romans 7, 7, and that's what I was referring to being a different Greek word there. It's not the same word, isercomai. It's a different word in which I do not have right next to me at the time, but Romans 7, 7 says this, what then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. Verse 8, here it is. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. Apart from the law, sin lies dead. That is a very interesting because if we think then that sin present before the law, now we don't just think that, we know that because it says that in, in Romans um, where it was, five, 5 verse 13, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. Okay, then Paul says in Romans 7, verse, the end of verse 8, apart from the law, sin lies dead. Or we could even perhaps say ineffective. This is interesting because it took the law to allow sin to seize an opportunity to build your awareness of the thing in which you are not to do. Paul talks about this, the thing that I desire to do, I do not do it. The thing that I desire not to do, I do it all the time. It's, it's kind of this idea at work. And we see this somewhat present when Adam and Eve took from the tree the knowledge of good and evil. They realized they, they, they had an awareness, a, a self-awareness, a self-consciousness. So saying it this way, just as sin seized its opportunity through one man and death through sin, so remember, for the wages of sin is death. So that's, he's, he, that, that's being tied together there, death through sin. Because why is that? Because the wages of sin is death. And he goes on to say in the passage, and in this way death came. Or another way you could say that is this is the way of death. So, Sin seized its opportunity through this man, Adam. Death entered in through sin. So, and, and in this way, death came. So, that is to effectively say this is the way of death. But, the great news, Jesus is the way of life. And he, he declares this 
uh, in and of himself. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So, I want to also point out back in Romans 5, at the end of 12, it says, And so death spread to all men, because, here it is, all sinned. Death came to all because all sinned. Notice, it doesn't say that death came to all because one sinned, Adam. It doesn't say that death came to all because Adam sinned. Death came to all because all sinned. I want to read Ephesians 2 verse 5. Paul says this, Even when we were dead in our trespasses, well, let me go back one verse. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in, here it is, our trespasses. So, continuing that thought process, that line of thinking in the previous episode. If we think, if we think Adam's sin is my sin, is our sin, and death is come to me because Adam's sin is my sin. So follow that. If we think that Adam's sin is my sin, and so therefore death came to me because Adam's sin is my sin, then that means that Christ died because of Adam's sin, not mine. It's a very, that's a very subtle, a very subtle perspective, and it's not one that's easily hooked onto, but, but it is actually an error. And furthermore, I suggest that in that type of thinking, for example, Adam's sin is my sin, in fact, using Adam as an excuse for our sin, is an easy scapegoat. What I mean by that is if we assign our inheritance of sin and death to Adam, that makes him a very easy target to assign the blame to. Well, that Adam, or well, that Eve. In a way... That mentality, we try to push blame on Adam instead, rather, of taking ownership for our sin ourselves. See, many of us realize that we are guilty of sin. Many of us realize that Christ died to cleanse me 
you of sin. I think, I think every Christian would acknowledge those two realities. We realize that we are guilty of sin. We realize that Christ died to cleanse me of sin. But fewer, I believe, realize that your death sentence in sin is because of your sin, not Adam's. You see, you are a sinner if you are not, if you have not been reunited to God through Jesus Christ. You are a sinner. Or if you have been reunited to God through Jesus Christ, then you were a sinner. You either are or you were a sinner because of your sin, not Adam's. Think about this. When we stand before God, you don't stand corporately and say, it was Adam. We, it is appointed for man to stand and to be judged by God. We don't have the ability or opportunity to say it was Adam. We are viewed and weighed individually. Now, if you could keep God's law perfectly, this is just hypothetical, okay? I realize we cannot keep it perfectly. Thus, our immense and desperate need for a Savior. But if we could keep God's law perfectly, according to this mentality of Adam's sin is my sin, you would still be judged guilty on the basis of Adam. And that would call into question um, the matter of justice. Now, we know God is, is the God of justice. Another uh, proposition, and this, this is highly debatable, and you could ask a hundred people and get a hundred different answers. But I am convinced of it, and I want to use it as an example because I believe it illustrates the purpose of what I, su what I am suggesting which is, it's Adam's sin. Adam's sin is what made Adam guilty. Our sin is what makes us guilty. When a infant, a newborn, dies at birth, does it, at that point, go straight to hell? No. No. Why? Because it hasn't had an opportunity to sin individually. If, if our Adam's sin consciousness is true, so if Adam's sin is our sin, then in the justice of God would be to then send that newborn to hell. That's why this debate about this age of accountability 
goes nowhere. It's not biblical, and our understanding of it is even flawed. And oftentimes, people will then say, well, God's grace and, and mercy, and God is gracious. God is merciful. But if we are born in, if we are born and inheriting the guilt of Adam, if his guilt is our guilt at birth, then that would mean that those who are newly born are automatically guilty. And it would be the justice of God to refuse them to be with him. And that is just not the case. And so I believe that it is in our own accrual of sin. You see, sin looks in for each person the opportunity to take advantage of those weak points in our lives, our failures and our blunders. Those newborns have not had an opportunity to sin individually. So that being said, they don't carry the guilt. That being said, I believe that all newborns, infants, any, any of those young children that are lost before they have had the time to accrue sin individually, they do not experience the judgment that an adult who refuses to separate themselves from sin and to accept the blood of Christ to cleanse them from their individual sin. That is why I believe that they bypass that judgment because they have not had the opportunity. So sin is present looking for its opportunity to seize in each and every one of us, but we must master it. That's what God said to Cain. He said, sin is creeping or lurking at the door. It is knocking at the door of your heart, but you must master it. Jesus, born as flesh as we are. He was born as a man while being God, God in the flesh, but he was without sin. If Adam's guilt, if Adam's guilt was passed on, he would, Christ, would have been guilty. But instead, he lived a life of perfection. He lived without sin. Sin could not seize an opportunity against him. Now, 
many people will will argue that well Jesus what did not come through the way of a natural father he came through the the divinity of God he was the holy spirit you know came upon uh, Mary and she became with child and so he bypassed the this physical blood guilt I mean oh, you know I Okay, perhaps, and I don't. I don't really know such things. Uh, I just know that in every way, he was a man, as you and I were. He was humanity, as you and I were. But he was without sin. Now we know that we cannot live a life of purity and perfection more so perfection like Christ did because it took him to do what we could not do. But what I want to really press home is that it is it is not the sin of Adam that we are standing in guilt. It is the sin of ourselves, the sin that we commit individually that causes us to stand guilty until we are reconciled with God through Christ Jesus. So, as I close this up, you may be asking, why does this even matter? Sometimes I think, I don't think in the most practical of ways, and my wife tends to be a very practical thinker, and so these types of conversations we will have, and that will oftentimes be some, you know, question that would propose, like, you know, what, why? Why does that matter? Why is that important? I think it is important to clarify thinking because accurate thinking gets us aligned more to be like God. You know, my... My desire as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, your desire as a follower of Christ should be to every day be more and more like Christ. So I think accurate thinking helps us to align more, to reflect more like God. We all value biblical inerrancy. It's, it's inability to be inaccurate. We all value that. And we don't want our understanding, or rather, don't we want our understanding to be more closely embodying truth? I know I've said it before, and I'll continue to say it. When we pursue truth, we pursue Christ. But, in the pursuit of truth, and Jesus is the truth, never do so at the expense of embodying him. Sometimes our desire to come to the truth can cause us to portray or demonstrate a side of us that actually repels people in our pursuit of the truth. We don't want to pursue truth at the expense 
of embodying him. We want to pursue him and we want to exude him. I think that's important to always remember when we are pursuing these types of these matters that are very grand thoughts to consider and oftentimes well above our ability in ourself to comprehend and even ever get to the end of. So it's something that I want to remind myself of, to remind you, as we pursue him, exude him. So I think that's where we will end it today. Um, of, of course, that was only a couple scriptures that address some of these things. Paul's writings throughout Romans is it is a plethora of depth and dimension to you could for your entire career and life explore and never stop picking up and learning new things from it. I'm sure there are many other scriptures that address this type of topic. I have just chosen a couple to elaborate on, but I believe but I believe demonstrate a truth that I feel that God is wanting to remind us of to to correct our thinking, to bring us into a place of understanding. Again, we we are not um, we are not perfect. We we are we still have sin. We still need saving. But it's saving not of from Adam. It's saving from ourselves, and we can only do that through the embracing and the pursuit of Jesus Christ as we are reconciled back to God our Father. If it means that I'm close to you I would trade a million lifetimes For a moment here with you And in your house I hold